I'm reading out of the ESV. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Mm. All right. So <clears throat> we're going to kind of continue on. Last week we were in Mark chapter 4, and we saw another storm. For some of you who have been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at just how storms, often in the Bible, is a way to look at like suffering in some ways. Like we can kind of draw some comparisons, and how God uses suffering in different ways. Uh, the first week we kind of looked at when Jesus walked on the water, and we saw that it, in that time, it really changed the perspective of the disciples. As they saw they saw Jesus before they went through the storm and after they saw him in a different light and their uh, perspective of him grew. And then last week we saw as he went over and left the, the multitude to go help the man possessed by the demons on the other side and they went through a storm. And that way we see that God brought the disciples essentially through suffering for somebody else, that, that their understanding of God might change. Um, and so sometimes God uses us in that way. And so although it's slightly a theme that I didn't intend, we're going to see a small element of that even today as we're going to see this man born blind that had been suffering his whole life. And he experienced, um, it was for a different reason possibly that God had. And so, um, so with that, I'm going to kind of set the stage a little bit. So the Feast of Tabernacles had just ended, or it could possibly still be going on, but it's, it's pretty much just ended. So there's this idea of this feast that the Jews would celebrate that really was a kind of a, a replay of their journey in the wilderness, right? They lived in booths. They would, at the very last day of this festival, they'd go down and they'd grab water out of the pool of Siloam and they'd dump it out and they would basically represent the rock that is Jesus and it giving water. And so the, the, there's a lot of people probably still coming and going in the area. And in addition to that, Jesus gets into a pretty sweet back and forth with the Pharisees, which, by the way, like Jesus is so good at talking a little bit of mess. Like, he'd get these guys, just jab them, and I love it. Like, you just jab them, and then we're going to see that he ends up dropping the mic with claiming to be the I am, right? They're like, he's like, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they're like, how can he, you know, only 35. And he's like, before Abraham was, I am. Boom. And they pick up stones to stone him. They're going to kill him. And Jesus, like, leaves 
and he's exiting the temple, kind of escaping from being murdered, and this scene takes place, okay? Right in that setting. He's leaving. They're getting ready to kill him, and he leaves, and he sees this man. And um, yeah, so in John chapter 1, nine, I mean 9 verse 1, we pray real quick, and then we'll get into it. Jesus, we thank you. Yeah, open our eyes. Let us see more of you. And Holy Spirit, speak to us that we might um, understand more about the goodness and greatness of our God. And so we just thank you. Let this time just bring you glory. And we just uh, bring rest also to our souls. We pray out of busy lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so as he passed by, right, he's escaping. He saw a man born blind from birth and his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus says, it is not that of this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so, it's interesting. Um, as he's leaving, he stops and he sees this blind man. Okay? Now this blind, it was, we find out that he's born from birth. He was most likely, he was a beggar. He is a beggar. Not most likely, he was a beggar. This may have been his spot. They may have passed by this guy every single time they went to the temple. But what's interesting is because he was, in a sense, had a, a birth defect, he, most of the time these guys would never have fellowship inside the temple. By law, a lot of them wouldn't be able to enter into the Jewish most area. And so a lot of times they would be begged. They were outside of even the fellowship with God. They were really, talk about alienated on, on the outskirts. They were definitely the, um, the fringe, right? And the disciples, Jesus sees this man. He stops, which I love these ideas of Jesus stopping in the middle of what he's doing. He, he sees this guy, and his disciples see that, and they go, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And if you don't know, I mean, the last probably, maybe this comes up quite a bit, is that in that culture, people believed that if you did anything wrong, that you'd be essentially punished. That if you were experiencing suffering, if you had um, got diseased, if you're poor, then you have done something wrong. You're being punished or you're being experiencing God's essentially judgment. And on the flip side of that, if you're rich and successful and healthy, then you must be doing something right. It hasn't changed that much. I still hear that. I still hear sometimes people go, oh man, you must be doing something right, right? It's like, mm, I don't know, man. Like, so that idea that this man has been hearing this his whole life, right? And so they ask, who sinned? This man, like that was the only two options. And Jesus is like, no. Like neither of those options. And he says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with this idea that obviously God created this world perfect. He created it and he designed it to function a certain way. And I think we can all say that it's been broken and things have happened. But God's sovereignty is not absent from that space, right? And I love this text because we're going to see God's sovereignty very much at work and we're going to see him responding to God's call, essentially, which I think is a beautiful picture. But Jesus says, no. This guy was born this way so that God's work might be displayed in him. That God made him this way to display his works in him. And to be honest, that's hard to understand. And it's hard to accept sometimes that God would cause this man to suffer his whole life 
to be, in a lot of ways, ostracized, not be able to have a normal, not be able to have a normal job for however long so that he could do this work in him at this time in history. I mean, I don't know, but like when I'm reading this, I'm like, how am I supposed to say this? Like, there's no easy way to be like, yeah, God made you that way. And it sucks and I'm sorry, but God has a plan. Now, I'm not saying it's always the case, right? But we know in this case, because Jesus said it, this is what's going on. And the hard part is, and I mentioned this last week, is there's times where God's doing something and it doesn't make any sense. And the only thing that we can say at the end is, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Like, I don't know why I can't see any good in this, but I trust you. You haven't let me down yet, and I know you're not going to. You are good, even though this situation seems like there's no good in it. Because in the areas that God, I believe, isn't some of the evil that happens in the world, is God is, is not, I don't believe in it, but God is so good that he's able to redeem even the most atrocious evil for his glory. And even in those spaces, we have to go, you're sovereign, and I trust you to make something beautiful out of this absolute heinous thing. Whatever the case is, you know, it's easy for us right now because we know the whole story here. We see how this ends, but this man in this moment did not know how the story ended. But I think what's really beautiful is this man his whole life has been hearing something is wrong with you. You must have done something wrong. Your parents have screwed up. Your parents must have done something wrong. That is all he heard. That's all he knew. The amount of shame that was placed on this guy was record level, and he was displaying it every single day when he's begging. And everybody recognized him. And yes, they pitied him, but there was something different. And for him to hear probably for the first time in his life, no, God has a plan for this guy. Which I just think is beautiful. And then immediately after that, he hears, right? And he puts the mud on his eyes. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, how amazing is this that the creator of the world, the one that fashioned mud and reached down and made the human and made the eye again stoops down, taking mud and making the eye whole. The creator played with mud again. And where the world and its brokenness, in his original design, it was made perfect. This man was born blind. He uses the very same mud to make it right. And then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is absolutely hilarious because it is five times farther than the nearest pool, which is Bethesda. Bypass that one, blind guy with mud on your eyes. Walk down a bunch of stairs. It's the lowest place in Jerusalem. And good luck, right? And what's beautiful is he went. There came a moment with this man where he had to believe and trust that when Jesus, this man he didn't know, and he still doesn't know, even when he tells me, like, the man Jesus, who's that guy? I don't know. He told me to go wash, and I did. Where he went. And he walked down these steps, and maybe he's fumbling, maybe he has help, and he's walking and walking and walking, maybe asking for directions, and ends up in this pool, and is washing his eyes out, and he begins to see. 
What's interesting about the Pool of Siloam is that we see in the text it says called scent. But what it, what it really kind of embodies is that it's the pool of the one who will be sent. It's, it was a pool really talking about the Messiah. And that it really represented that this idea that this pool represented that the Spirit one day would be poured out as water on the people when the Messiah came. And so he goes to this pool where the Messiah would be represented essentially, and it's in that pool that he receives sight. It's actually that pool that they would pull the water out and do a full procession up to on the Feast of Tabernacles and dump it out. It was the same time when Jesus says, come to me all who are thirsty. It was right at the moment as they're dumping out this water from the pool of Siloam. So in this pool, this man receives his sight and he comes back seeing. Physically, he's healed. And I just think how beautiful the idea is. I'm watching this guy walk by the very walls that he was fumbling through, coming back to the, maybe the very spot that he spent most of his life. And he can see it. He can see where he was at. He can see it all with new eyes. And so, of course, this causes a little bit of an uproar. Verse 8, he says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before begging were saying, This is not the man who sat and begged. Some said, It is he. Others were like, No, it was somebody like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said, Well, then how are your eyes open? And he said, Well, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And they brought to the Pharisees uh, the man who was formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can this man be a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so again, they said to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Now, one thing that's really beautiful about this text is like literary, it, like, it's symmetrical, right? So we have this man who has this moment of this personal interaction with Jesus, Right? And then it takes a step back, and now we have this man having this interaction with the Pharisees. It takes even a step farther back, and the man interacts with his parents. I mean, the parents and the Pharisees interact. It comes back to his second experience with the Pharisees, and it ends with this man having a personal experience with Jesus. It comes full circle. So this is the first time with the Pharisees. And so, they, um, so people are asking what's going on, and obviously he calls him the man, the man Jesus. He doesn't know who this guy is. Um, and then we find out that there's a problem as this took place on the Sabbath. And so they begin to question them, and there's division rises up. They're like, well, this guy can't be of God because he broke our Sabbath tradition. And others are like, well, he can't not be from God because he healed this guy, right? And so they go back and forth. And what stands out to me, and what this was actually, I've read this a ton of times, it was brought from a friend of mine, kind of brought it up, and I never really saw this, is how much the whole focus of this whole text is sin. And... Um, and I was like, yeah, these guys are so focused on what they believe is sin, which it isn't sin. Jesus didn't break any laws, that they're missing the work of God. And so as they're questioning this guy, he ends with this idea of saying he's a prophet, right? So he's, he's stepped up in their perspective. Well, the Pharisees go, they, their conclusion they, they drove, where they unified was, well, maybe the guy really wasn't blind because 
The guy can't heal on the Sabbath, but obviously something happened, so maybe it's all a trick. And so they call his parents in verse 18. And so the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind, and they received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight, and they asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents said, Well, we know this is our son, and we know he's born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. And so he asked, they talked to his parents, and his parents are like, yeah, we know that's our son. He's born blind. And we see that there's this fear aspect. And so it leads then to the second encounter this guy has with the Pharisees in verse 24. And so for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to them, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you're not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to, be made his, do you want to become his disciple? And they reviled him and saying, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for as this man, we don't know where he comes from. Then the man answered, why? Isn't this amazing? You don't know where he's come from, yet he opened my eyes. Well, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has began has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. I love how they start off. Give glory to God. This man is a sinner. So they're, they're so obsessed with the fact this, this, this couldn't have happened. I love this man's response, and I think sometimes this is probably should be our response. Listen, I don't know. I was blind, and now I see. Like, I don't know all that noise. I don't know. It's okay to say I don't know. He said, I don't know, man. All I know is born blind. Like, I was blind, and now I see, which I think is absolutely sweet. And so they go back and forth. You want to be his disciple? They're all focused on this. So here's the crazy part. After they, th- they throw him out, I think we, we, we need to look at this idea is that the irony of this whole text is that they're the ones that are blind. They're the ones that are blind. And they're blind because they don't, first off, they don't see that Jesus could be the Messiah because he didn't fit their mold. This can't be the Messiah because they've already determined what the Messiah would be doing. Another reason they're blind is they couldn't see that God could work the way that he did because it didn't follow their traditions. See, Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. They had formulated their own rules of what keep the Sabbath holy meant. And they they made rules, and then they made rules for those rules, and then rules for those rules of the rules, and it was thousands of rules long for what it meant to obey the Sabbath. And he broke one of their rules, but he didn't break the Sabbath. And because God doesn't work that way, therefore, that person's a sinner. The saddest part about it is they couldn't see the good of what would happen. They couldn't see it because they were looking at the sin. 
And I want to camp out here because this is still a problem today. What was their focus? Their focus was on man's work, their sin, his sin, that sin, whatever. And what were they missing? God's work. I think one of the biggest challenges I see in a lot of evangelical churches today is we are obsessed with sin. And I am not minimizing it. Jesus died for sin, right? It is not light. We don't take it light, okay? It is a big deal to rebel against the holy God. But if that's all we're looking at, if all we're seeing is I sing too much, I need to stop singing, they sinning, that sinning, this, we are so focused on humans, ourselves. We become so obsessed with ourselves that we reduce the gospel to simply Jesus died across for your sins, which is true. And you get to go to heaven when you die. And I've talked about this before, but this idea that we reduce Christianity to sinning less. That it's all about sinning less. And man, what a bummer if that's all it is. If all it is is this idea that, man, I sin less today and, and I, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the wrong thing? Like, if that's all my focus, who's my focus on? Me. The beauty of the gospel is that it is a story of God, and it's his work. It's God redeeming the world, and it pinnacles in Jesus' death for the sin of the world and his resurrection. But it is not just that, because something that God did and something that Jesus did that is absolutely, the, I think, so beautiful of the gospel is that Jesus lived this perfect life that we can't live. He became acceptable to God as a human, obeying the law perfectly in every way, shape, or form. And then when he died and rose again, and we trust him, not only does he take our sin, but he gives us his righteousness, his standing before God. And so when people look and they go, they're like, thank you, Jesus, we're looking for his work. I've been forgiven. My sin has been taken away but now I can be fully loved and fully accepted by the Father because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I can come with freedom. I don't have to carry my baggage and all my failures. I don't even have to look at myself. I can look to the cross. I can look to Jesus and say, I am pleased, pleasing to the Father because of you and you alone. And so what does that do to my eyes? What does that do to my perspective? I'm able to see and look for God at work. I'm able to rest and be thankful that he has done this thing. I don't have to look at myself. It's almost like the idea, if you've heard the definition of humility, is humility is not thinking little of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. I have found that in this, this beauty of the gospel that is this work that both my sin has been taken and my righteousness has been given, the more I have believed and lived out that, the less I even think about myself. I still sin and I still have issues, but I'm not so focused on it as much. And what's crazy is God has worked in holiness in my life and it's taken less focus on myself and more as I look at him, he works in me. And so what's crazy is it produces in me a heart of thanksgiving and gratefulness. I get to see God at work and I'm a lot less concerned on what other people are doing and on even what I am doing. Because at the end of the day, it's absolutely devastating. If you really want to get to the heart of how well we're doing, heard a pastor say it this way. He said, you know, so often I, I've been told that, that if my life as a Christian is linear, there's these moments of failure, and that the point of the gospel is that those moments of failure are less and less and less, right? And so it's a plot map. There's less these dots. He goes, the reality is, he goes, most of the time, whether you get to the deep down reasons of my motive, it's all sin. 
And there's these moments of purity and authenticity and realness and holiness that pop up, and that's a work of God. Sanctification is God working in us to make us more like Jesus. And yes, we play a part in that, but ultimately, we're gonna even see here, it's God at work. And what's awesome is the more we see God at work in our lives, in the lives of others, in the lives of our community, the more it creates this heart of gratefulness and we don't even think about ourselves as much. And so, with that, we see Jesus pursue this man farther. 9.36, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those that may see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so, a few things on this that I love. One, Jesus finds him. Right? He finds this guy. This guy was cast out. He was cast out socially, and now he's cast out religiously. And Jesus finds him. He wasn't done with him because the reality is, and what I love about this, is that this is a really beautiful picture, I think, of even of salvation, right? For some people, there's this instant moment where everything clicks and our eyes open and we follow Jesus. But for a lot of people, like myself, it was a process. And with this man, we see his eyes open physically, but his eyes spiritually didn't open until later. We see this man go from Jesus as a man to Jesus as a prophet to where he says Jesus is Lord and he worships him. And we see that Jesus was a part of this process to the point at the very end where he comes up to him and says, do you believe? Like he gets to the heart of the issue. He didn't just heal this man to leave him not blind anymore. He brought him this place of like, do you want to know me? And I think it's so, Jesus' words here are so beautiful. He says, it's the one that you see. Like, he just healed him. He just healed him. The guy's brand new to seeing, and he's like, the one in front of you that you're seeing, it is he. I'm the Messiah. That's what he was asking. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And so, we see that this progression that took place, and this guy, the man said, I do believe, Lord. And he worshiped him, which is awesome because Jesus... Jesus receives worship, right? Because he is God. And so we have this picture where the story starts with Jesus in this personal moment where his physical eyes are open and it ends in this personal moment where his spiritual eyes are open. And it was a process. And so I think that for us, um, I went a little shorter today, but for us, what we can take away from this idea is that if it's a process for this man and it's a process for us, it's a process for others. Okay? And that one of the things that um, is of value here is that we believe the only one that can change a heart is the Holy Spirit. And the only one that can change somebody is, is, is Jesus. And so God is working in his timing. And he's working in us. He's working in me. He's working in you. 
and it is a process. And for people in this city, it takes so long for them sometimes for their eyes to be open to see who Jesus is. Statistically, from the moment somebody hears about Jesus in the state of Utah to the time they accept him, like if they do, it's seven years. It's a long time. And so there's an aspect where as we understand the gospel for ourselves and realize that I have nothing to bring to the table except Jesus and his righteousness, it gives us patience for other people that are struggling. The more that we see ourselves as, as an, a space of going, man, I don't understand God like I do. I don't see God how he does. And I know that I'm not rejected because of that because my identity and my value is found in Christ because he has given me value then I'm able to see others in that same light. And so we're not like the Pharisees going, that person can't be good because they sin too much, and that person can't be used because of this, and this is going on, and that can't be of God because of all this garbage here. God has been using sinners from the dawn of time. You know, and he even uses them to do some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, you talk about like King Saul, the guy prophesied. I mean, he, he was dialed. And he continued, even in his rebellion, God still was faithful to use him to some capacity. And so I think that the space for us is go like, we, we want to love people where they're at. And we want to be patient where they're at. And just as we want people to be patient with us where we're at, right? And I think if we do that, then, then we won't fall in the same trap where we're only focused on all of the sin. And I'm hopefully, you know, I'm not minimizing sin, but I think we become a sin-centric Christian culture rather than a Jesus-centric culture. And so the more we see Jesus, the more the sin actually takes care of itself. But the more we focus on the sin, we don't see Jesus as much. And so, with that, I'm going to close in prayer and we'll just have a time where we just worship um, and we can have a time of communion just come up, dip bread in the juice and you can take it back or partake of it right there. Um, and then uh, if there's anybody that needs any prayer or anything, we can, we can do that after. So let me just close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you're the one that changes our heart. You're the one that makes us see. God, we want to understand your goodness and glory to a greater extent. We just pray, Lord God, that, um, that you will help us see more of you Jesus, for those of, like, all of us, God, in some ways are struggling with different areas of sin and struggle, God, but we pray that you'll let us see more of your beauty and more of your goodness. God, that we will see the work that you're doing and that we'll glory in that. And so, as we uh, leave here today and all the interactions we have with people, Lord, open our eyes to see your work, to see you, um, what you're doing, Lord, so that we can rejoice in those things. So we just thank you, and we just uh, praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.